And I'll be reading from 1 Samuel, the whole chapter 12. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with, with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried, cried out to the Lord and, he, and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of the, your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has sent a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servant to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. You do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. 
Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the way in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, in the middle of this quarantine and even in some of the loosening of the regulations, it's hard for us to meet. Um, and we have not been able to meet in person, as you can imagine. Um, but we have extended what we have as our first week, which is our Wednesday night teaching fellowship discussion time. And um, we've been doing that on Zoom, and it allows us to meet as a big group. And then the, the plan we have, you're allowed to, we, we split us up into smaller groups and discuss some of what Pastor Amari, our assistant pastor, um, has been teaching us. And so we have decided to do third week, which means we're doing Wednesday nights twice a week. And third week is coming up this Wednesday at 630 and if you look at the link um, on our website, um, you'll be able to, to get in there and, and, and be a part of third week. So don't miss that. I've recognized one of the few times I get to see people, laugh, talk, and hang out. Another one of these times will be after church today in our virtual lobby. Please, after we're done, let's get together, share some of the goodness of God, just look at other folk, be able to see them, and hear from them in ways we can't in person. Which reminds me of one final thing before I get into the word today. Um, I was, you know, communicating back and forth by text with some of the area pastors um, in our presbytery. And we talked about should we be doing the Lord's Supper? Because at Christ Central, we do the Lord's Supper every week. Um, should we find ways, drive through Lord's Supper, all these sort of things. Um, and I heard something from one of the pastors that really... Um, touched me, and I think uh, it's good for you to hear it. They talked about fasting, right? Fasting from the Lord's Supper until they can come together. Um, it, it, you know, if we look at Scripture, the Bible says that God calls the fast, right? God calls fast, uh, a time when we can't eat, a time we can't do certain things that we typically do. He calls the fast so that the chains, right, the bondage of God's people, the bondage of people in this world can be broken as God's people pray and seek God. It's interesting that um, during this COVID-19, we're fasting not only from the Lord's Supper, but we're fasting from being able to hang out with each other. I believe God has called a fast for the people of God. That means we need to take the time that we have, that we're not able to be together, and allow that missing, that longing to, to become a passion to pray, a passion to seek God for others, a passion to pray to God, hey God, uh, help come up with a, a vaccine. Lord, help come up with ways for this virus to end. Lord, help our brothers and sisters who are suffering um, in the worst ways from this. So let us think of this quarantine as a fast instead of just a quarantine. Just want to pass that on to you, but let's go to the Word of God. Um, last week, um, we saw Saul, the new king, defeat 
the east side enemies, the Ammonites. And everyone is happy, and Samuel, knowing it's time for a transition in office and government from him, a judge, to Saul, a king, calls the people together. Like we saw mentioned in the, at the end of chapter 11 before this one, to renew the kingdom. At this renewal, they'll inaugurate Saul officially as king publicly, do some sacrifices, have some food, reconnect, and celebrate. And everyone is there, all the tribes, and Samuel stands up and says, y'all have Saul now. So I'm stepping down as your political leader, your, 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 your governmental leader. But I got some things I need to say, which was, which was normal back then. It was an official retirement address. To, to make sure there, is a, there was a peaceful transition of leadership. Samuel, the old leader, clears his name and he assures that he is gracefully bowing out, that he wasn't forced out, that, that this was not a coup by Saul and his goons, his son's already been gone, and that he is handling, handing the kingdom to Saul in good shape. He didn't steal anything. He didn't take anything he wasn't supposed to take. He's handing it with no debts, no debts to collect on. And therefore, and as God, you people and the new king, as my witness, I need you to witness, I am good. I've done good. I'm clear, clean to transition out as Saul, y'all's new king, transitions in. Because I don't want my name, I guess he's saying, all in your own mouth later, right? Talking about, well, this is happening because it was Samuel who did this, and Samuel did that. L like our politicians do today, right? When something goes wrong, what do they do? They blame the past administration for everything happening in their administration. And so with a hearty, we good, right? You good from all, Samuel was free to just be a prophet. It's like our own Dr. Fauci, right? Uh, an advisor now, right? He, not an elected official who, who doesn't have to worry about politics and the economy or the November election, right? So, so, so he proceeds, Samuel, to do what a prophet is free now to do. He becomes God's witness against the people for this we want a king thing. That though we might agree that, that Samuel had been good to them, to, to, to move forward though, to be renewed before God, they would have to accept and believe that God had been good to them. That if they were to continue their relationship with the Lord, they, they would have to repent, admit their wrong in this whole we want a king thing, and turn to a God who had been nothing but good to and for them, and like the old saints used to say, too good to them. Like the Israelites and in their desire to have a king like the other nations. You and I, right, on more than a few occasions, have wanted more of less than what God has given, right? And offered and called and, and asked us to be more of less 
than God's goodness to us. When that happens, like with God's people, we, we need a renewal, right? We need a revival when we start living life like that. We need a reawakening, a repentance based, though, on God's goodness being greater than our worst decisions and mistakes. Like Samuel showed the Israelites 3,000 plus years ago, we too must see that God has been too good to us. In three ways I want to explore. He's been too good for us to forget his goodness. Too good. Secondly, to forge our own salvation. And finally, too good to be forsaken by his love. So after clearing his name, Samuel goes on to clear God's name as God's prophet, right? To, to, to show how good God has been to his people. And so he calls them to remember, right? And maybe for some of the younger ones in the crowd to, to hear about this for the first time, to, to know, to, to recount the good deeds of God for them. And in five verses, verses six through 11, Samuel covers roughly 800 plus years of God being and doing good to his people. When they were nobodies, when they were slaves, when they were oppressed, when they made huge, how can I put it? God should take you out mistakes, right? When they were in danger of losing their promised land and losing their life to bullies, when they almost lost their minds and souls, God was not only powerful and able to save them, Samuel is showing, but faithful to do so every single time. By, by covering, right, and if you look at these verses 6 through 11, by covering and layering, right, the, the, the many different ways, God, in different situations where God was able and powerful to save and care for his people, Samuel was, was making the point, right, that, that generation after generation, God was faithful, right? that God had been steady, that, that he's kept his word and remembered while those who called themselves his people forgot sometimes. They had God amnesia. They forgot they walked through the middle of the Red Sea. They forgot all these incredible things God had done for them for 800 plus years. For his people and those of us who would be his people, right? God, God's never quarantined himself from our lives. Right? He he's not, he's, does not follow a, a shelter in heaven order, right? He, he's never masked his love for us, and he never suffered a God recession or down year, right? God has always been faithful to his people. Thinking about Mother's Day last week, so I remembered my mama, and I think about my own wife, the mother of our family. God sounds a lot like mama, doesn't he? You know, as mama, right? The only one who did not and could not possibly be out of it, whatever it is ever, right? 
or, or in it for herself ever, right? Completely. Or, or taking a break sometimes. Even last Mother's Day, Kelly was trying to make everyone feel okay and show grace and mercy about how we were trying to celebrate her. Even on Mother's Day, mama got to be mama, right? And it reminds me of a gospel song from the 70s by sister pastor evangelist Shirley Caesar. Right? She's all of those things. Right? She's a pastor, has a church right here in North Carolina, y'all. And she's one of my all-time favorite. Well, I shouldn't say sister. I should say mother. Right? She, 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 she's a mother now. In, in one song I remember from those commercials that, that came out, remember those commercials in the 70s and 80s for those of you who are old enough? And they would offer these gospel record collections. It was like a playlist on vinyl. And as the commercial was going, they would show pictures in the background changing for each song. And then the, the names of the songs would roll up the screen. And they would say something like, I remember this one, if you order now, right? Like they're going to change the record, right? In the meantime, right? But if you order now, we will include Sister Shirley Caesar's song, No Charge. Y'all remember that? I remember this commercial. And not only would we sing it when the commercial came on, we didn't know what we were singing. It was just a commercial. But then I knew because my mama would sing it to me when she thought I was being entitled or ungrateful. Some of y'all remember it. The story in the song is that this son does all of these chores and he adds up a bill for his mama for doing stuff he's supposed to do, right? But he anyway presents it to her with the final charge on it. And she starts singing. Dude went the wrong way, but the mama starts singing. She sings a whole song. And the song's this says this, and it's partly narrated by Pastor Caesar. It says, a thousand memories, memories flashed through mama's mind. So she picked up a pen and turned the paper over, and this is what she wrote in the singing starts, right? For the nine months I carried you, holding you inside of me, no charge, Right? And it goes on, right, in the same melody. For the nights I sat up with Dr. Jew and prayed for you, no charge. For the time and the tears and the cost through the years, there is no charge. When you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge, right? For the nights filled with gray and the worries ahead, for the advice and the knowledge and the cost of your college, there is no charge for the toys and school and clothes and for wiping your nose. There's no charge, son. When you add it all, the full cost of my love is no charge, right? I should have done that one last week for Mother's Day. Some of you mothers need to look up that song and need to sing it. That's one way to get your kids to do right. Start singing that song, especially if you can't sing. Use that, right? Use that. That'll make the kids act right. My mom can sing. But if you can't sing and you sing that, your kids will act right, right? But let me, let me flip this no charge thing a little bit. In this situation, Samuel is listing all of these things God did. And he is saying there is no charge. 
right? And what I mean by no charges, there are no charges against God, that is. He has been nothing but good for free, right? You, you, you have nothing against him. Based on what he did, there is no bill to offer God. There is no, this is what you failed to do. This is what we had to do to save ourselves. It, it, God, like you didn't do it. No charge. In fact, some grateful obedience, Samuel was saying, from, what you, from you would be nice, actually. So yes, let's be honest. You and I might suffer because the world, we, and everyone else in it is broken and fallen. There's all kind of injustices. We talked about it last week with the Arbery situation. There's all kind of abuses. But God has not fallen off ever. He has never broken it off, broken his promises ever. You cannot charge God for anything Samuel is saying to them and now to us. But as Samuel was telling them for this king thing, for asking for a king like the other nations, for you turning away and and not trusting him, Samuel saying, no charge for God or against God, but guess what? Guilty. For you and me. It wasn't Samuel, he's saying. It wasn't even Saul. He talks about God gave you this King Saul. It wasn't even Saul who got caught up in this. It wasn't the Lord. Samuel is making it plain and clear that it was the people of God in their ungratefulness, in their fear, forgetting God's goodness, that point to here, made them guilty and drove them to the guilt of forging their own salvation. See, part of this history lesson that Samuel gives is about how God had been and could be trusted to save his people from whatever they're experiencing in the world, but saving them his way, right? To to rescue his people, though, to fight, to go to war, to provide for his people. And he points to doing it his way way. He points to leaders like Jacob and Moses and Aaron and the judges Jerubbabel and Barak and most recently, of course, Samuel himself. But they, God's people, by asking for a king, rejected God's form of governing them and his people and God's way of delivering his people. And therefore, they were rejecting God's deliverance of his people. Look at verse 11 with me. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. Y'all see that? And when you saw that Nahash, the king of Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, like, no, we ain't safe, right? But, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king who you've chosen, for whom you've asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. What's going on here, y'all? It says he, well, they were safe for generations on every side. So now King Nahash comes up in the Ammonites in chapter 11, and we'll get back to that. But there was something about King Nahash 
and the Ammonites that scared them and made them afraid in a whole new way, right? Of course, the fear of being taken over and destroyed was in that. I'm sure that was on the visceral, on the surface thing. We gonna die, y'all. Look at this king. Look at his army. They ready. They prepared. They got everything. And, and, and so that's what made them in part want a king, right? Which, they, which according to their history, lesson that Samuel gave them, they didn't really need this king like the nation's kind of king. But fear will make you do some crazy things. Fear makes you imagine, right? Fear, that's, that's what God talked about, T taking captive, vain imaginations, because fear make you think things that ain't true. They were safe on every side, the Bible says. But all of a sudden, King Nahash comes, and they get afraid. It'll throw you in a panic. They were afraid of things in their world. The Philistines, the Ammonites, losing their lives and their economy, and maybe their value and worth and their land. And so a survival instinct kicks in. My first job was working, delivering, and moving furniture and items for the Charleston County School District. And we had these big moving trucks. Man, I love being in those trucks. I felt like something. I wasn't even driving, but just kind of, you know, in the truck with your, with your gloves and your work out, you know, your work uniform with your name on it. I was something, right? And we would sit three deep, right, in that seat. And one of the truck, one time we were driving a truck and the engine caught on fire, crossing a bridge, y'all, over a river. Right? And, the, and so it, and the driver stopped because ain't no pull off. It's a bridge. And, and the driver stopped the truck. And instead of me waiting, because I had seen lots of movies, a big car explosions, right? Someone, because someone drove by and says, looks like your engine's on fire. Engine's on fire. And he puts park. And I climbed over the driver, y'all, while he's putting the car in park, the truck in park, over his back. As he's trying to, to put it in gear, I jump out on the driver's side and into oncoming traffic on a road with no shoulder for cars to avoid me. Right? Right? Where was I going? Right? What was I going to do? Jump into the river? What? I mean, there was no place to stand. Right? So everybody just stops because the truck's on fire. And I remember the driver saying, look at you, just panicking. And I was so ashamed. Because I'm like, you're right. I wasn't going to blow up, but I was about to get hit or drown, right? I panicked and my behavior showed that I was afraid. Nahash scared the you-know-what out of God's people, right? So much that they thought God can't save us. Right? We better do whatever it takes to save ourselves right now. They panicked. They crawled over God's faithfulness. They crawled over the story and ran into more danger. See, we act and live afraid too, don't we? We build and hide and shelter and run away and duck into our relationships, some of us, into our responsibilities. Sometimes we use our jobs to be that buffer, a place to hide, a place to fix our fears externally and internally. Our fears, our rejection and shame and past abuses, all the stuff that creates this story in our mind and also the things that are terrorizing our lives on the outside and from the inside make us afraid and do some crazy things. 
But that is not the only and primary fear going on here. Because like those many things in our lives, sometimes it makes us so afraid, we doubt God is real. We forget. We, we don't remember the God we even say we believe in. But there's another fear going on beyond primary phobic fear. Look at verse 14. It says here, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. Now, that's a good verse, right? This is about the fear of the Lord. But this fear here about the Lord is used as a foil, right? To, to show the kind of fear they had, not only in the face of danger from King Nahash, but this was the kind of fear they were showing towards King Nahash. That's why it said that you want a king like the other nations instead of God being your king. You see, this fear here, uh, which is now about the Lord in verse 14, uh, it means awe and reverence. Now hold that in your mind. I believe that kind of fear, the awe and reverence, is the fear they had for King Nahash and not God. Remember what happened in chapter 11? The Jabesh, the Jabesh Gileites were willing and wanting when they were uh, being um, sieged by King Nahash to give themselves and their city to King Nahash as a commonwealth. So when we look at verse 14, if you will follow me, if you obey me, if you will do what I command you, what they were saying is we will fear King Nahash like that and we'll, we'll do what he says and he can command us and we will obey him, right? Which would make him their king. Then they would have had that mediator, right? That protector, that buffer against all that was hard and evil outside and within their community and hearts. So they wanted what Nahash was, right? They were in awe and reverence of what he represented, how, what he looked like, powerful, leader, winner. They had reverence and respect and were jealous for what the other nations like in King Nahash had and having a king like him instead of the awe and reverence in the way their God was king. The limited TV series on Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, has been a real hit, right? But you know what? It revealed how much other teams and fans of other teams feared Michael Jordan. Not only because he could rip off 50 on you real quick, 50 plus, if you pushed him, and embarrass your best players if challenged, but he sold out stadiums all over the country. You right? Uh, and it says this. We revere the man we fear. Right? It said we believe he is awesome. The people, we are a fan of our foe's ability and what he has done. You know what? Places sold out not to see their own team, but to see Jordan. As Jordan embarrassed them on the court. And from the ownership to the fan base, everyone was thinking what? We want a Michael Jordan too. Right? I, 
I don't think there was an ownership or general manager or coach out there that wouldn't trade almost every single person on the team, even if you were born in the city. I don't care if you've been playing for that team for 20 years or, or, or whatever. You can't retire here if we could get a Michael Jordan, right? New York would have traded Ewing for Jordan. That's my belief. Oh, I know I'm going to hear it now. You ain't right. <laughs> yeah, Spike Lee, he would have taken Jordan, not only for the commercial, but for the New York Knicks. Trust me. They would have traded almost everything they stood for to have their enemy. Now, I think the only team that wouldn't have traded for him might be the Detroit Pistons, right? So we can be winners. The problem is Israel had something better in the Lord their God. But they had forgotten. They got so starstruck and afraid that, that their dynasty was over. Struck by what was going on, they got blind and panicked like some of us, right? Right? Some of us, right? So, some of us have started looking for love outside of our marriages, right? Our money is less than proper in ways and it affects our hearts, right? We are stingy or risky or those of us, those are, there are some of us who look je at, with jealousy at what it appears another culture or another race, or another family, or another economic bracket has, or we look towards our politics and leaders, and we are jealous of the success and how it makes them live above the fears and over their fears, and, and, and might help us maybe escape what we're running from, and finally get to where we want to be, like them, like that, like who and what we imagine sometimes ourselves to be. Some of us are looking at the past, what our parents wanted us to be, you know, safe and secure and and happy, we are in awe at the stability while at the same time fearing the uncontrollable and unknown. We are in awe of the athlete at school, some of us, or the popular at high school and middle school, maybe the cool crew, right? I remember, you think it's amazing how they dress and look and they act and live so fearlessly and confidently. Well, well, like I was when I was a middle schooler or high schooler, I was shaking in my boots, fearing rejection, trying to keep up, dying for acceptance somewhere, right? And every kid thought it, I know. When your mama says, get off, or your daddy says, get off that PlayStation, get off that computer, or get out, get in the house, get off that bike, get off that court, come in and put the trash out, right? I remember I thought it, right? Man, so-and-so mama don't make them do that, right? I remember my friends, they had so much freedom. Oh my gosh, especially my friends who just had a, a, a one a family member in there, right? Where, where mom and dad were gone a lot, right? Where, where I had a friend, his dad lived all the way in California. He could do anything he wanted. And I was jealous that his dad wasn't around like mine because my dad was always on me. See what kind of crazy jealousy? His dad would send him stuff, bikes and gold chains and all kind of stuff at Christmas. And my dad, he wouldn't give me a gold chain. You don't need no gold chain. That's for grown people. Right? Ah! When you get a job, you can get a gold chain. No! And this fear factor of awe and scared has got us wide open and twisted, y'all. 
in all areas of our lives, doing what shouldn't be done to get by, but with what won't and can't save us, to give us what we are in awe of and save us from what we are afraid of. Look again at verse 13, and, and it says, And now behold the king you have chosen, Samuel says, for whom you have asked for. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. It is not wheat harvest today. I will call upon the Lord. I'm sorry, is it not wheat harvest today? Because it was wheat harvest time, right? I will call upon the Lord, Samuel says, that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Y'all see that? And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask ourselves, ask for ourselves a king. Just so you know, for it to rain in the wheat harvesting season was unheard of. It don't rain that time of year, right? That's why you could get, you could eat and things were in a cycle. You went in there, no rain, you know you can get your wheat in, you're good, right? It didn't rain in those months. And the fear of losing the crops was all in their minds, I'm sure, when it started raining, right? But do you see the point here? God is showing them and us. Because remember, they were, he was saying it in the context of them having a king, and God actually gave them what they wanted. He, God is showing them and us that even with your well-designed and forged plan, like having a king to secure and fix your fears, ultimately... Whatever you've planned to save yourself will still, that you and I will still need what? Something bigger and better than you can forge. I don't care what your life got. You will always need someone and something more awesome than you have ever or could ever be or expect or do for yourself to handle what life will bring. Samuel's point, you will still need the Lord to save you. It's almost like God is saying and uh, bringing this storm at this time, okay, you can have your king, but he will not and cannot. And I won't let him do what only I can do for you. God wants us and them to know that even on the surface, like Saul's appearance, it looks like things are good economically, socially, aesthetically, you know, like, like the seasons here, right? It's wheat season, right? Wheat harvest season. You are beautiful and fit and put together, especially if you are his people. Let me let you know, God will not say that the God wants you to know it will not save you. And God is too good to let you and me think that it will. And sometimes, like he did back then in bringing a storm 
in a good time, right? The harvest time, when it shouldn't be storming during the wheat harvest, God may rain on your parade. He may storm on your life at the most inconvenient time. And the storms that come, God is saying in your life, you will not be able to endure without me, especially if you my people. You and I, if we are honest, have seen, and now, especially now, together, are experiencing a storm in the wheat harvest time, ain't we? I mean, think about how a virus has stormed and rained in the middle of an economy that was doing all right, it, it, on, on somebody's retirement, on somebody's graduation, on somebody's prom, on all kinds of stuff. I mean, think about it. Think we're in the wheat harvest as a country, right? We are the United States. We're free. That happens over there in those countries, right? We, we vacation in the summer. We don't shelter. I'm going to the beach. I'm going to force people to open it up, right? We vacation in the summer. We're smart. We have unlimited resources and brilliance and resilience. Really, God is asking. And now we have to answer and witness to the fact that God is the only one who we should fear. He's the only one who saves and beyond COVID-19, anything you and I will or can forge or have forged to make us happy or secure and safe under the sun without looking to God's faithfulness, let me tell you what it is. It is unsheltered from the storms that God alone can bring in judgment. And it is unsheltered from storms that God alone can save us from. All the mental and eternal, I mean, internal and family and financial and personal and sense of worth and histories of abuse and sorrow and pain and personality disorders and marriages and lives you live and the way you switch and wear cover-ups to who you are and the feelings of rejection and all that stuff that helps you get by, that, that's, that's brought a harvest to your life, like having a king for the Israelites. God is letting us know he is too good to us and for us, for us to forge a salvation and hope for ourselves that will ultimately not save us from what we fear and it will not deliver to us what he longs for us to have. And it is why Samuel says this in verse 14. Fear the Lord. You can't live life the way you were called to as a human being on your own without him. And then, look at the show. He comes back and says this after he does this crazy storm and the people get afraid and say, we sorry, we didn't do right. He says this in verse 20. Now, now you saw what he said, fear the Lord, right? Now look at verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You see that? Fear the Lord, 
Then he says, do not be afraid. You have done uh, all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You see that? Wait, right? Fear the Lord. Turn back to him, repent, live right. Then do not fear the Lord, right? And then later in this chapter, he says, go back to fearing the Lord. Here's what Samuel is saying. Yes, you have made a huge mistake in desiring, insisting on, and expecting a king from God because you were more in awe and fear of the world and how things, people live life outside of God that you were, than you were of all the goodness and power of God. And so God put a king over them. He gave them what they wanted, but that would mean life under those consequences, right? The, the consequences of having Saul as king. But, but it would not, hear me, this discipline that they would get with Saul being their king would not be at the cost of being forsaken by God. That yes, you need to be in awe of how God will save you despite your sinful fears. And not fear, hear me, do not be afraid in your repentance, right? In turning to the God who's already turned to you, do not fear being rejected and returned by God because you have been sinful. That God has been, and it's too good for you to be forsaken. You see, God does not impress upon us by just making us afraid. Just, you know, you hear this preached a lot. You, you, I don't even have to have it preached. I feel it a lot when I do wrong, right? That, that I'm kind of scared of his divine muscle bringing storms in my life because look what happened to the people. And, and we're all, and so we live afraid, waiting for the other shoe to fall. Or, you know, God's finally going to get us, right? And some of us live like that. I do. Sometimes I'm running around. I don't repent because I'm living in fear. I'm trying to outrun the fear. So there's a sense in which fearing God's uh, uh, a judgment and condemnation and shame more than we fear the, the, the forgiveness and love he is offering us will actually lead us to continue living apart from him. You see, the other gods and kings would just shake people. They would just manipulate people like King Nahash into following and being afraid. They would make people afraid that if you didn't do right, that God, their God and king would leave you, right? They would forsake you or condemn you or destroy you. But God impresses on more than the mind and the fears that are in our bodies, right? That, 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 are, that are in our, our souls, that are in our world. The, the Lord impresses the heart. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against his commandment, the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Right? 
So back to what I was saying. A lot of gods and kings can demand and scare and enslave for obedience and behavior change or else. See, that's what they would have gotten under King Nahash, right? At least King Nahash would have been like, if you don't obey me, if you don't fear me, if you don't have awe and reverence of me, if you don't bow down when I walk by, you're done, right? That, that was a fear they could have, and this is what God is saying. But look how the word of God through Samuel shapes this thing. Verse 20, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty, for the Lord will not forsake his people. Right? Do you see that? For his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, I will instruct, instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Do you see the difference God is seeking to impress and change something in a way only God as king is willing and wanting to do. Listen carefully. He wants to change and gain our hearts. He wants us to obey, serve, and follow him and repent based on love between him and his people. The reason Samuel says, do not be afraid. God wants us to follow, obey, fear, and have awe on him because of his affection for us, not phobic fear. That's why Samuel comes back and says, fear, but do not be afraid. In other words, God impresses us by not forsaking us as and when we deserve it, not keeping or staying with us only when we have earned it. You know, like a bad toxic relationship some of us have been in where you have to act right and feel forced to do things or else the person will leave or abuse you. God is like a great, the greatest husband or wife you could ever marry, right? It is for better or for worse. Verse 25 says, right, that, 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 that when it talks about being swept away, it's saying if for the disobedience, right, for the disobedient, if they don't obey, they'll be swept away. Swept away is a term in the Bible used by God to describe how he judges and separates out those who do not belong to him. The reason Samuel says don't be afraid is that they have given God and God had every reason to sweep them away. But the history, y'all, of their relationship with God showed differently. Discipline like a good parent, yes, but swept away was for those who weren't his, but for those who were his, living in the fear of being swept away because they've done wrong. He is saying, do not be 
afraid. I am the Lord who redeems. I am the Lord who called you to be my people. I am the Lord who saves and loves. I am the Lord who does not forsake. Every other king will forsake you. Every other king will leave you. Every other king will condemn you. I am the Lord, the, your God, the king who will never forsake you. No matter how bad your sins are, turn to me. This is like, for him to say, be not afraid, is like a pre-Jesus on earth announcement and proclamation of the good news of a good God. That while we and they were yet sinners, God saved us from being swept away and in fact held on to us in his love, in his arms. When the sweeping was being done, he made sure we didn't get swept with it. That while the wages of sin and self-security and finding a king, a rule other than God is death, being swept away, but the gift of of God, what God is offering and extending and has given his people is eternal life through him by grace. God wants us to know that he has been too good to us for us to be forsaken. That he's been so good to us that when we have forsaken him, he has been too good to us to forsake you and me, his people. That with a God like that, we need not fear anything in us or in this life. If God has not forsaken us for turning away from him, he will not forsake us when things are turned against us so that we can stand and live and act in awe of his love, unafraid of our shame and guilt, which means by the grace of God, we need not stand in awe and fear of anything else before and instead of him. This is Samuel's farewell speech as their ruler. But understand, the story of Samuel, as the book suggests, continues. Samuel steps into, as we stated, a different role as prophet and priest and no longer judge. And the people of God realize that they need that with a king, with a king. They say, Samuel, don't leave us. And Samuel says, I wouldn't sin before God by leaving you without me being there to give you the word of God, without me being there to intercede for you and your king. And what's going on? Samuel is give, giving himself as the mediator and message of the good news of God's salvation. You see, Samuel is saying, in me, the good news and message of God's grace for you will not depart. That you need more than just a king. You need someone who is a king, a prophet, and a priest. Because an earthly king will only leave us fearful and shame and failure, failing and burden. But you need a prophet, priest, and king who will pray for us, who will mediate for us, who, yes, will destroy our enemies. But like they say here, Samuel, are we going to die? How do we not die? 
because we've done so wrong against God. We need not be afraid of God's judgment because we don't die, but Christ died, right? The reason we're not swept away is because on the cross, Christ was swept away. How do we know God is too good to us even when we sin, even when we struggle? Because God in Christ Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, will not forsake us, will not leave us. He will constantly remind us. Jesus is that witness between us and successfully pleading a deal of salvation for us and in us like no one and nothing else that God has been good to you. For, for you and me to live forgetting and without the memory and knowledge of what he has done for you. He has been too good in Christ for that. He's been too good for us to forge a faulty and failing fix for all our fear. And in Christ, God has been too good to us for us to be forsaken by his love. Jesus is our Samuel, but a Samuel who is our king. We must fear him in awe and reverence. We need not be afraid that we would ever be separated from his love, from his goodness, and from his salvation. He's been too good to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We've tried so many other things to save us. We've turned to all kind of stuff. We've let ourselves be taken by all kind of sinful things, all kind of ways, all kind of relationships, all kind of religious activity because we're afraid. We're afraid of shame. We're afraid of condemnation. But Lord Jesus, because you came and took it all on you, as we turn and repent to you, we need not be afraid of being swept away. We need you, prophet, priest, and King Jesus. Lord, we, we got a lot of consequences in our lives. We do have a bunch of small K kings in our lives. And, 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 and there's a lot of scars in us. There, there, there's still a lot of bondage in us. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we need not fear that you will crush us because of it. But we have every hope that you will save us, that you will secure us, that you will not forsake us as the people you love. Lord, we're tired of walking around with condemnation and shame. Lord, I pray that you would discipline us. I pray, pray that you would make us tired of carrying our own burden. Lord, I pray that maybe you would rain 
on the thing that has been given us so much harvest in our lives so that we would turn to you a place of no shame and no condemnation, but of power over everything. Lord, I pray for our people and people in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis. Lord, it's a storm we didn't expect <laughs> out of nowhere. I pray that it would make people have fear and awe and wonder of you and then run to a place where they need not be afraid whether they live or die. Because either here or there, you'll hold us and you'll have us and you'll save us. Please work through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.